How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. With Derek Johnson, I'm Dusty Baker. Pull up a seat and sit with us at our bar. Let's talk some ball. Derek, it's the postseason. I'm not going to say happy postseason because I don't think either one of us is uh, particularly happy about this particular postseason, but that's why we drink. So let's just start it off. First of all, what are you drinking? So I uh, have this beautiful uh, straight rye whiskey. Um, Shout out to my uh, parents for picking me this up. Uh, They were at a wedding in Michigan. It is called Deer Camp Straight Rye Whiskey. And so uh, this is from Porcupine Lodge in, uh, in Michigan, which is a beautiful place to to visit in the summer, I hear. I've, I've never been, but um, before it gets too cold. Same with, like, Minnesota and Wisconsin, you know? So I got my one ice cube. Uh, I am a little bit of an ice guy. Um, <laughs> I do I do like those those icy sips at the end. And uh, with a rye whiskey, it's it's a little bit different with the rye. It's a, a little bit more of a, uh, a kind of a spicy, like, peppery type taste typically. So uh, here is me trying this. Very good. Very good. You get the hit. Yeah. And yeah, so typically, right. yeah. So, so typically with the rye, you're going to get that kind of the spice, the heat, the the peppery at the end. And, and you get a lot of that in this, but it's also very flavorful and it's not overly much. So uh, yeah, I recommend it. I think it's very good, but it's hard to get a, because it's uh it's a small place in Michigan. So. It, hey, you know what though? Uh, good area to get whiskey up there. And, and of course where we're at over here, it's more of the bourbon. Are you more of a bourbon or a whiskey guy? I tend to be more of a whiskey guy. I'm actually even more of a scotch guy than I am whiskey or bourbon. But yeah, I'd, I'd go scotch, whiskey, bourbon. How am I rig my three? But I'm good with all three. Okay, okay. That's that's a fair ranking. I, I, I'm i a bourbon guy, but uh, whiskey is not very far behind for me. I'm not drinking either one, though, this evening. Um, it is October. It is fall time. And I'm trying to embrace Kentucky beyond bourbon. So... Um, yes, believe it or not, there's more than just bourbon out here. There's actually this amazing place that I was uh, referred to, though, in Indiana, which, you know, it's about a 30 minute drive north of where I'm at. Uh, it's called Huber's Huber's. And it's like a massive pumpkin patch. Um, honestly, like you're ever in this region. This is a place that I highly recommend. It's Huber's and they have a wine and it's a spiced apple wine, spiced apple wine from Huber's. Um, I'll get the logo up on our screen here. Um, it's a called sweet apple wine with spices added. So therefore they're Huber winery, spiced apple wine. They have all sorts of wines. They actually have a distillery there as well. 
Um, but I have actually had a sip of this earlier. And I will tell you this, Derek, this is one of those wines that you can have cold or you can do what I did with my girlfriend earlier today. And that is heat it up. And it actually tastes pretty good both ways. Like you can have, essentially it's like a apple cider wine and it tastes delicious. Um, I'm having it cold as we speak because my heart is cold after what I've witnessed uh, the last couple of days in baseball. So uh, needless to say, that's that's what I've decided to go with. So shout out to Huber's, uh, Huber Winery. And uh, let's take a sip of it cold. It's the first time having it there cold. I, uh, when I was in Germany, they had some places in Frankfurt and some places in other cities that had, it's called Apfelwein, which is basically like apple wine. And so, uh, yeah, that's good stuff. It is really good. And and um, I had a uh, like a heated wine similar to that. Um, I believe it was in Amsterdam and it's, it's delicious. So I highly recommend that time of the year for that, where you can make the excuse to heat up your wine. So with that being said, we're going to talk about the time of the year. Um, we are recording this on October the 10th of 2023. So we're going to do our chug and look back at it sat on this day. I want to take you back to 2011 on October the 10th. And we're going to go to the ALCS because Yes, now with our new format, it pushes games further back. Of course, the World Series bleeding into uh, November as well. Back then, we didn't have this many playoff games. So it's the ALCS. It's game two. It's the Detroit Tigers. Derek, do you know who they were playing in the ALCS that year? You said, what, 2011? Uh, would that have been? Gosh, I'm di- okay. So 2012, they obviously won the ALCS and then ended up losing to the Giants in the World Series. 2011... Would that have been the – no, that would have been after the Yankees. Oh, gosh. Uh, let's see, 2011. I'm, I'm completely blanking. I'm putting on the spot right here. Who is it? I'll give, you, I'll give you a hint. It's very applicable today, this particular team. Was it the Orioles? It was the Texas Rangers. Oh, okay. The Texas Rangers in 2011. Oh, I should have known that. Rangers went to back-to-back World Series with yep. 10 and then 11, yep. and then obviously yep. 11 was the, the David Freezier. So, yeah. Hey, you know what? I put you on the spot, and you've already had a drink. So you, you get off the hook <laughs> on that one. Um, so 2011, it's the Texas Rangers, and they're hosting the Detroit Tigers. Derek, you might remember this game. Uh, 51,227 on attendance for this one. It was an afternoon game. But everybody, all they really care about is what happened that evening. Because it went 11 innings, it was tied at three, and a certain hitter hit a walk-off grand slam, went three for four, I believe it was. I think he went three for four. Let's check. Yeah, three for four with five RBIs, of course, four of those five coming off the final swing of the bat. Um, And uh, he proved to be a key asset for the Rangers down the stretch. Um, Do you, off the top of your head, remember this, this particular hitter? Was this Mike Napoli? Close. That was a really good guess mm. because Napoli Napoli went off that year. And honestly, if I'm not mistaken, I think he went off in this game. He had a uh, – let's see. Let's double check because I Napoli had went one for four in this game, but in that series okay. he had – a 333, 391. Yeah, I was going to say, Napoli felt like he was always clutch in the postseason, whether yeah. it was them or, or like the Red Sox. Uh, if it's not Napoli, I mean, uh, you could go through what? Like Nelson Cruz, Ian Kinsler Damn. maybe. You got okay. it. You got it. Nelson Cruz hit a walk-off grand slam, uh, had five RBIs. This is really when he started turning it on. And, I mean, obviously, C- Nelson Cruz has had an incredible career. So, I think this is when we really saw the first taste of it. So, the reason why, obviously, I'm using the Rangers in this instance, congratulations to the Texas Rangers because they have officially punched their way back into the ALCS, a series they haven't been in since. 
2011. So uh, obviously kind of interesting to look back at that. It didn't feel like it was that long ago, but Derek, I mean, you reviewed the lineup and it's pretty crazy because you, they have the likes of Napoli, uh, Ian Kinsler, as you mentioned, Elvis Andrews, Josh Hamilton had a career year that year, Michael Young, Adrian Beltre. Like that was a really good team. Man, that, that's a crazy lineup. The more you went through that and kept adding names. And uh, Michael Young, dude, all-time guy. Same with Adrian Beltre, like, all uh, you know, all-time favorite for a lot of people. So uh, that was really fun. And then, I mean, they had some good pitchers. They didn't have, it felt like, that, like, ace pitcher. Although one of the years they made the World Series, that might have been the year before when they had Cliff Lee, when they made yeah. it in 2010. I don't think they had him in 2011. But you still had some, like, good pitchers in there. Like, I, I always think of C.J. Wilson. Yep. CJ Wilson, you know, a uh, funny thing about this one, Derek, this may be my favorite part of this entire game. So Derek Holland was the starting pitcher for the Texas Rangers. You want to know who started for the Troy Tigers that game? Was it like Max Scherzer? Max Scherzer. Nice guess. <laughs> yes, it was Max Scherzer. So it tells you that that man has stood the test of time and now he's on the other side. Now he's literally a Texas Ranger, but is he doing anything with them? No, because he's hurt. So uh, apparently though, he is reportedly at least tossing the ball around. I, I don't expect anything out of him, but congratulations to the Rangers. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about them here in just a second. And we're talking about those 2023 Rangers. Um, so let's just start with that, Derek. Uh, the series ends. The Rangers sweep the Orioles in three games. What is your biggest takeaway? Well, my biggest takeaway is the Rangers bats are, are going. And I guess that Bruce Bochy is just golden in the playoffs. I mean, Obviously, Bochy was the manager for the Giants in the 2016 series when they lost to the Cubs in, in the DS, and then the Cubs ended up winning the World Series. But outside of that, you know, Bochy was undefeated in playoff series with the Giants. And um, you saw a little bit of the Bochy magic in the first two games. Like, they didn't have anybody go more than, like, four innings in the first two games. But they pieced it together, and the hitting went just bonkers. And then the hitting continued to keep it going. Seven runs against the Orioles in the final game. But you also got that good starting pitcher performance by Nathan Yavaldi. Seven innings, seven strikeouts. Well, what's crazy to me is thinking that the Rangers have gotten to this point without Jacob deGrom, without uh, um, Cole Reagans, who they traded away and became like an awesome starting pitcher for the Kansas City Royals, and without like Max Scherzer sort of right now being injured. And like you said, Max Scherzer, who knows? Maybe he'll be back for the uh, ALCS at some point in one of the games, but man, uh, just think how good this team would be if they had all those pitchers in addition to this. But yeah, man, I, I think they've got what it takes to win it all. Um, Corey Seager, always clutch in the postseason. Mitch Garver's hitting really well. Marcus Simeon uh, at the top of your order was good to see him get kind of going today and, and score run. Adelise Garcia. I, I just love watching that dude play. Even Evan Carter, who it was like, is he going to be too young for the moment? He's played well in the playoffs. The fact that you're hitting like Nathaniel Lowe, and Josh Young at the bottom, like two or three of your lineup is just ridiculous. I I think you pretty much nailed every point there. I, I'll piggyback and say my biggest ultimate takeaway outside of the obvious depth of the Rangers lineup, because that is what their identity is. They're a very deep lineup. There's not an easy out. Um, Corey Seager is unconscious. Evan Carter looks like he's going to be a future stud. He already basically is. Um Josh Young is hitting the three, four hole on most major league rosters, right? Like it's insane that he's that low in the lineup and it's not at the fault of Bochi. It's, it's a benefit, right? Like it's a benefit. That they have so much depth that they can kind of have a little bit more pop later in the lineup. Like that's huge for them. Uh, but my biggest takeaway is I think they do have enough starting pitching. I really do. Uh, granted, this is a shorter series still, you know, best of five versus best of seven. We're going to see them tested, uh, presumably against the Astros. It's hard to see the Twins 
winning two straight games here. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, presumably it's going to be a Texas matchup. And, of course, they're all too familiar with each other. As far as the depth in the rotation, I think they do have enough because Jordan Montgomery has proven to me that he can at least kill a couple innings. Doesn't mean he's going to go, you know, pitch dominant like like he did against the Rays, right? But I think if he can give you a solid five innings, you're getting a good number. Like you can maybe not necessarily trust the bullpen, but the bullpen is decent enough that they can hold your lead and, and they have an offense that can keep you in the game, right? Because um, the Rangers bullpen has been kind of detrimental for them uh, up until really the postseason. All of a sudden it's turned it on. LeClerc looks legit. Aroldis Chapman looks solid again. Um, they've got pieces there. Spores looks good. Uh, the other takeaway, you know, I think Nathan Eovaldi is going to be the key. Um, you saw him go seven innings of one run baseball in the final game, the clinching game against the Orioles. Uh, you saw him pitch really well against the Rays as well. I, I think he's got to be your number one guy as you go into this ALCS. And um, they're going to rely heavily on him to probably give them starts. I'm guessing he'll probably be their number game two starter. Uh, I think that's how it, it kind of aligns uh, in the timeline right now. Um, he's going to have to come in clutch and he's been clutch. They're going to really need him because he's basically their ace at this point. And if they want to get to the World Series, they're going to need to go through it, Nathan Eovaldi. Um, with that being yeah. said, yeah, I mean, like, do you see that kind of the same way? Yeah, I do. I, I wanted to add one quick thing on the Orioles since we hadn't really talked about them. Um, I, mm -hmm. I do think that this is an indication for the Orioles, like, you need more starting pitching. I like Kyle Bradish. I, I think Grayson Rodriguez is going to be really good, but, you know, maybe too young to be starting game two this early on. And um, I, it feels like they needed that one other guy. They, they made – uh, sort of an attempt at it by getting Jack Flaherty, but that obviously kind of, you know, flamed out and didn't totally work out. Um, I also think there's something to be said as we get to talking about the rest of these games, except for really the Astros. Uh, there's something that's tough about coming off the bye and you don't play for five straight days after baseball is such a routine sport. And then you have to pick things back up. And really outside of the Astros, we've seen these teams struggle. Is it just because um, these other teams are built better for this short series where you know, you have those guys. Is it have something to do with the buy? Is it a little bit of luck? Is it a little bit of this or that? I don't totally know. I do think the Orioles are still a really good team and will be next year. But yeah, if they could add one more like stud starting pitcher, like bring in an Aaron Nola this offseason or something, that'd be awesome for them. Little teaser. I, I will have a point on what you just mentioned there when we get to the Dodgers D-back series. Um, but uh, as for the Orioles, I think Jackson Holiday comes through. When you get another maturity of the guys like Gunnar Henderson, uh, Adley Rutschman, you know, now they've seen what the playoffs are like. Um, they've experienced it. They, you know, the bright lights may have gotten to them a little bit. Uh, first time they played in front of a postseason atmosphere. You know, this isn't the first time Corey Seager's played in front of one, right? It's not the first time Nathan Eovaldi is shoved on the big stage. Like the Rangers were built a little better as far as performing in the postseason. And I think that the Orioles youth, it showed. And, and that happens, you know, like the, I, if you remember the start of the year, the Orioles, this wasn't supposed to be their year anyway. So they exceeded expectations. They're going to be just fine moving forward. This just simply wasn't their year. This was almost like a really successful trial run. And next year when Jackson Holiday comes up, watch out because the Orioles are going to be one of the best teams in all of baseball. I, I'm fully convinced. And I totally agree with you. I think the Orioles are a great fit. If the White Sox are smart and trade Dylan's Cease at the height of his value, that is where I want to see C's go. I think that that would be a, a pretty solid fit for them. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if the Orioles make any moves in that direction. Or they could just go out and sign Blake Snell. But also, I think, 
help a lot of their needs. Um, we're going to go to the Twins and Astros series. It's still going on at the time of recording. Um, the Astros have a 2-1 series lead. They absolutely dominated in game three on the road in Minneapolis, uh, taking down Sonny Gray as well, who has been very good this year. So uh, as far as the fact that we don't know the end result of this series, but it seems there, like this is going to be the Astros series, what are your current takeaways? Well, my current takeaways is this has been a series of people who we thought were clutch in the postseason just continuing to step up. Christian Javier had kind of an up and down season, but he was killer in the postseason last year and in the World Series. He was part of that game where the Astros pitched a no hitter. And obviously it wasn't just Javier. They had the bullpen pieces, too. Um, but like the, some of the hitters they've had, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, uh, Kyle Tucker, like have continued to be clutch. Um, I mean, Jordan Alvarez is unstoppable. He looks like the best hitter in baseball right now. I, home run in all three games, I believe, so far. He's been unbelievable. And even for the Twins, though, like Carlos Correa has come to play. He's been clutch. He has hits in every game. He's hitting like 474 in this series so far. He's been awesome. But in the end, it, it feels like this is a good fight by Minnesota. It feels like you are seeing a bit of the talent difference. I know the Astros only won three more games than the uh, Twins did this year, but it feels like there is a lot more of that star power on the Astros than there is in the Twins. It feels like that's just kind of what ca what's carrying it a little bit more. Um, I, I think from the Houston perspective, the ability to use some of your starting pitching depth in a lot of different ways is helpful. We saw Justin Verlander look great in the first game of the series. Um, in this most recent game, I, I mentioned Javier. He, he was really good after the up and down season and being able to use Hunter Brown like in a bullpen role a guy who you know Hunter Brown was having a great season until the last like what month or two of the year ended up with an ERA over five but we know the stuff is still there and if you're going to play him up into a bullpen role like good luck hitting Hunter Brown in a one or a two inning uh situation so like it's it's just the starting pitching depth that I think has really stood out to me that's my biggest takeaway because this goes back to last year too when they won the World Series you were able to pitch really good starting pitchers in shorter roles and basically magnify what they did because of how many good ones you have. And then you have the clutch hitting, you have star power at the hitting, even if it's only three or four or five guys where it's maybe not as deep as a year or two ago when you had Correa and you had some of these other players. But, uh, man, that starting pitching depth really comes in handy in, in these short, sorts of uh, situations. I think just from the Astros' perspective, it's starting to show – how much value there is to being there and doing this over and over, right? Like you have guys like Altuve that has now seen the postseason pretty much his entire career. Um, there's a reason why on the twins, Carlos Correa has constantly come through as well. Like these guys know how to perform on the big stage because they've been there. And as my point with the Orioles was, they hadn't been there and look kind of caved under the pressure. And are we surprised? Not really. Um, I think we would be very shocked if the twins won the series because a lot of these guys on the Twins haven't been there either, right? It's really Correa that has seen, you know, the value of this. And also, let's not forget, the Twins' best player technically going into the season is not even playing for them. That's Byron Buxton. Um, so I think that when you look at the Astros, they kind of limped a little bit into the playoffs, but we knew all along, I think everybody had kind of a rough idea that this team was still going to make a push, probably to the ALCS, to the World Series, I don't think anybody's shocked about any of this ride. And that's because they've got seasoned veterans that have been there, they've done it, that produce time and time again. And for the Twins, I mean, I, I think that Twins fans should be really excited because there is some decent youth on the team. Um, I, I'm excited for the fact that it seems like they've got a formidable for rotation for the first time in a long time. 
they're getting a lot of good pieces to step up in a big way. So, you know, a Twins loss in this series, not necessarily detrimental, right? Like, I think that it's a good stepping stone for a team that kind of also didn't play amazing in the 2023 season. Like, they got fortunate that the rest of their division wasn't that good, but they're stepping up. They're playing well. Uh, they completely outplayed the Blue Jays, outclassed them um, in their series. So I, I think that this is a huge step in the right direction for Twins, the Twins fans. They got the monkey off their back of, you know, not having a postseason win. Um, the big thing for the Twins, I do think they need to have one more bat so that they can pair it with, you know, a Royce Lewis and a Carlos Correa. Like, they need to find one more bat. And I wonder – if that one more bat's going to come for Brooks Lee, because if Brooks Lee can call like uh, internally, I think that's a call up that can make some sense. That'll help out. Um, if it's not there, you need to maybe address what you're going to do with Byron Buxton. Is he going to be a permanent DH uh, moving forward? Because his health is detrimental. That is the one detrimental thing. The rotation I'm confident in. I know Sonny Gray didn't pitch particularly well in game three, not worried about it. Um, overall, this is a solid team. I just, I don't see the them falling, um, or I don't see them beating the Houston Astros. I just, it's not really something I see coming. Yeah, I, uh, it's weird. It, it almost does kind of feel like it's dead. And Sonny Gray came into game three. He had like a sub two ERA this year in yeah. day games. Um, and they just absolutely match. For, of all people, for Jose Abreu, who had like a, a not good year by his standards uh, to hit that home run, it, it just feels like the Astros are, uh, I don't know. They're just built for the postseason in whatever way. Yeah. Let's move to the uh, National League. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, let's uh, jump to the Braves and the Phillies. Uh, you could argue that this on paper was the best series heading into the DS series. But um, one thing that I will say, and, and it's obviously 1-1 at the time of recording, I even with the loss in game two, man, the Phillies are an impressive team. They are just an impressive team. They're built to win in the postseason. They're not a regular season built team. They've got guys that can carry them through a best of five, best of seven. That's why we saw them win this past year and go to the World Series. And to be honest, Derek, like I kind of think they're going to win this series too. See, I, I kind of wonder if the the game two moment, but which by the way, that game two was unbelievable. And this has been a great Incredible. series so far. I, I'm excited to see how this finishes. I kind of wonder if that was the Phillies' chance to put them away, go up 2 0 before you're heading home. And because they let that slip through their fingers, if that's going to ignite the Braves and get them going. So I, I going into really before Austin Riley hit that home run, which amazing to me, he got that thing out on basically like a one-handed swing. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was, yeah, you know, on the Phillies that they just kind of owned the Braves, but after the way that that finished and Michael Harris making that unbelievable catch and doubling up Bryce Harper, I'm kind of in on, on the Braves kind of getting this thing back together. Now I am worried to your point that, um, do the Braves have enough pitching? Uh, you know, like Max Freed is good. Um, Spencer Strider, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball. But like with the Phillies, their starting pitchers have been dudes in the postseason. Zach Wheeler was great until uh, really the home run that he gave up. And Aaron Nola has been dynamite in the postseason. Like even Ranger Suarez, who, you know, didn't make it through like four innings in the first game, but did enough to, to keep the Braves shut out and then, the, the bullpen picked it up, um, has been good in the playoffs. And, and that's the one thing I'm really impressed with. The Phillies bullpen, I really like that bullpen. Like you have, uh, whether it's guys coming out the back, like throwing gas, like Soto. I, I, I know Hoffman was the one who gave up the uh, basically the game-winning home run to Austin Riley, but I still like Hoffman. Like, I don't know. I, I, I like what they have in the bullpen there. I think I, I agree with you. The Phillies are built for the postseason, 
and they're a tough matchup for a lot of teams, I kind of think that that swayed enough momentum that I like the Braves because that lineup is just deadly for Atlanta. Well, I, I think here's why I'm on the Phillies side in this. Number one, you're able to split in a brutal environment in Atlanta, right? Like you got game one. You know what they say, like anytime you can go on the road and split, that, that's a huge win for you. Um, they go back to, in my opinion, the most hostile environment of any of the teams that are still alive in the playoffs. Like I, if, if you're telling me that I have to play anywhere and I get to pick and choose where I want to go, I probably out of the group of eight here, I think I would have wanted to go to Arizona. I think Arizona's got the least intimidating environment. Um, but I think if you ask me what's the most intimidating, it's it's got to be Philly, right? Like that is a brutal crowd, loud, intimidating, huge like ballpark overall. And the Phillies play well at home too. On top of that, game three, the Phillies have Nola going. We don't even know who the Braves are starting yet, right? Like we still don't even have an idea. So you already have one of the dudes you mentioned. And then I'm going to give you a name that I am excited for because I think he's going to step up and uh, he's he's going to have some kind of role in game four is my guess. And we hadn't heard much about him from the last series because of the dominance that the Phillies had. But uh, Christopher Sanchez, I think that he doesn't get the love that he deserves. He had a pretty dang good year. He stepped up in a big way. Um, he's really efficient as a pitcher. I, I'm impressed by his overall efficiency. He doesn't walk a ton of guys, doesn't let a ton of guys get on base. I think that he's going to prove to be a very key factor because I think that he can give you a solid three to four innings um, in some sort of bulk relief. And then you go, as you mentioned, to the rest of the bullpen, and that's a pretty solid bullpen overall. I mean, Orion Keckerton or Kirkington or Kirkering, Kirkering, yeah, Kirkering. Mm-hmm. He is Orion's unbelievable. Uh, dude just throws strikes. That's all he does. Um, they just get dudes left and right, like you mentioned, and. I don't know. The Phillies, like, there's something about the been there, done that. The fact that they were able to beat the Braves a year ago, you wonder if that's on the Braves' kind of mental side. Even with the win in game two, I I think going on the road is going to be tough. And I think if it goes five, the Braves are going to win it. But I I don't know, man. I think that the Phillies have enough to to be able to pull this thing in four. So we'll see. But uh, my overall takeaway, I think these are, in my opinion, the two best teams in baseball, to be honest. I, I really... I believe that the winner of this series probably goes and wins the World Series. That, that's ultimately my thought. I do think the Rangers are unbelievable, though, and no sleeping on them. This is not just you know discrediting what they've done. I just I think that these are the two most well-rounded teams, um, and I think the Phillies are more well-rounded. I'll, I'll be honest. I think the Braves are a good you know regular season team. Sure, great offense. They'll put up great numbers, but postseason i'm i'm kind of leaning towards the Phillies. uh with that being said let's go to the dodgers and the diamondbacks what is your biggest takeaway my biggest takeaway is that in a five game series you can get away with having two stud starting pitchers and not much else because brandon fought is going to be starting game three and brandon fought has not been very good this year uh, i i think brandon fought will be a fine pitcher at some point in his mlb career it hasn't really happened this year in his rookie year and it didn't happen in their first postseason game when when they started him um, now, I will say, I mean, Lance Lynn, who's going to be opposing him, uh, has a career 5.3 ERA in the postseason and his last two playoff starts, which were in 2018 and 2021. So it's been a while. Um, two and a third, given up three runs and then three and two third, given up five runs. So he hasn't been a great pro season pitcher. Maybe they can get away with it. But that's the point that you know they were mentioning on the broadcast in, in game two. And I thought it was super interesting. And it wasn't something that I 
really thought about till they mentioned it on the broadcast that uh, the plan was that, you know, they, they started in uh, game two, Zach Gallen, and that he would be available for game five. And then, um, you know, in, in game one, you start your other good pitcher and he's available in game four. And like, you, you have to do a little bit of short rest normally, but because of the spacing with the division round, especially how this one worked out with the national league this year, it, it almost worked out perfectly to the Diamondbacks because they are very much a team where they have two stud starting pitchers and then they don't have a lot else and they don't have like a super deep bullpen overall, but with Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen, like that's enough for you to do it. And um, I, I don't know what it says that Merrill Kelly had never beaten the Dodgers before. And he finally did. I, I don't know what to do with that, but um, I think there's something else to be said about athleticism in baseball Nowadays, I, I think with the bigger bases and the new stealing rules, um, athleticism is so much more important. We saw that with the Reds. I mean, that's why the Reds were a contender because they were athletic. Yeah. They were stealing bases. Uh, I think that's the reason like the, why the Giants fell off. They were one of the worst teams in the MLB in, in stealing bases. If you're an athletic team, you're going to inherently be good at defense because you should have good range all over the field. Um, and inherently, you're going to steal a lot of bases. And when that's an opportunity now to get a lot more of those, it's a way to make things up. Now, obviously, that's not the be-all end on the series. The pitching's been great, and they scored 11 runs in the first game, and, and they're just scoring a billion runs in the first inning, and that's going to win you a lot of games. But I think there is something to be said about athletic teams and how that can be super helpful at this time of year because stealing that extra one base or nabbing that one extra out, that can be the difference in a playoff game or in a playoff series. Yeah, I, uh, I'll take a little different angle on this. First of all, you had mentioned um, the break, the little gap that you get uh, if you get a buy. Personally, like, I think you got to overcome that. You know, you like, regardless of the gap, like, it's still baseball. It's still a game that you're practicing every day. Like, you, you've seen a billion pitches, right? Yeah, you may be a little cold going into game one, but, like, you're also getting your starters to be rested, right? Like, you, you get everybody to take a break after a long 162. Um, there's something to be said about you got you get a week off. Like, you get a chance to recoup, regather yourself while other teams are burning arms. You're not. And I think it's become an excuse. Like, I really do for these buys, like these teams with buys. I, I just – the Astros took care of business game two and game three, right? Like – that's a team that knows how to win. The Dodgers, uh, and I'll, I'll start with the Diamondbacks first because I, I want to make sure that I cover them. Um, they are super athletic. Corbin Carroll, one of the best players in baseball. Um, he is intimidating. He's not a big dude. Doesn't matter. He's kind of Jose Altuve style where it's, you know, hit hard, you know, liners, hits bombs, steals bases, just plays the game the right way. Uh, Lord Escurial Jr., dude's got some pop. I think he's one of the most underrated players in all baseball. Uh, Gabriel Moreno, the dude has turned it really significantly on here, especially late. Um, and, yeah, the pitching has been incredible for Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallon. So tip my cap to the Diamondbacks. They've been playing, um, I don't think out of their minds, I think they've been playing exactly how the Diamondbacks play, right? Like they play fast. They're kind of gritty. They're a little, uh, they got a chip on their shoulder. They play high energy and, uh, you know, they're, they're an interesting brand of baseball to watch. Now on the flip end, what I have really taken away from with this series is that it does not matter how many wins you get in the regular season. It just does not matter. I don't care if you win 180 or 160 games, like you could win 162 games in the regular season. 
Who cares? Give them your stupid regular season trophy. I, I It doesn't matter. Like, if you get in the playoffs, that's all that matters, right? Like, that is all that matters. And the Dodgers, it's like once the calendar turns to October, outside of 2020, which wasn't even a full season, it's like they just become a bunch of chokers. Like, Mookie Betts, he's three for 36 since the NLCS in 2021. Freddie Freeman hasn't hit a ball solid in, in his two games against the Diamondbacks pitching that he dominated during the regular season. Uh, James Outman looks like the rookie he was a year ago in his first at-bat. Like, it's just – it's a totally different team for the Dodger Blue when the month turns from September to October. And, and I firmly believe that there are certain players that play under the lights and that succeed on the big stage, and there are some players – that are good regular season players, they show up in the regular season, and the moment that a clutch moment matters, they don't show up. And I feel like it starts with your coaching. I think Dave Roberts hasn't been bad this postseason. Like, I don't think he's poorly managed by any means. I think the team itself has just been bad. But you got to light a fire under these guys. you got to be able to make it so losing isn't an option. And Dave Roberts, the problem with him it's, it's almost like it's, okay, boys, let's get him next time. Let's get him next day. You know, instead of, guys, like, what did we do wrong? Like, assess the situation, figure it out, have a fire under yourselves. Like, they're, they're waving. David Peralta gets a double down 9 nothing, and he does a little dance at second base as if nothing's wrong. Like, it's just, it's mind-boggling. Like, this team hasn't made it to the World Series in the last – like in, in technically the last five years, there those are four, four full seasons they haven't made it to the World Series. One exception was the COVID year. That is unacceptable for a team that's won a hundred games this year, won a hundred and eleven a year ago. All they did was win one game against the Padres team, and then they won a hundred and six games. Uh, twenty nineteen when they lost the Nationals. Twenty twenty one. Uh, was the one year that they made it to the NLCS, and then they bowed down to the the Braves. So it's just, and that wasn't, by the way, that was not a good Braves team, right? Like that, uh, they were a hot Braves team, but that was like the worst Braves team technically in the regular season uh, that they had in a long time. It's just they got hot, right? And so that's the storyline here. Um, as a Dodgers fan, it's it's absolutely infuriating, and I just, you know, you can't blame this on Dave Roberts. Clay Kershaw, I think his career is coming to a close. I hate to say it. I just, I think it is, it's got to be towards the end, if not the end here. Like we may have seen the final start for Kershaw. Um, build your, build your rotation, you know, build your rotation, get guys that can, you know, get you through not only the 162, but give you depth in the postseason because the Dodgers, you know, they didn't account for that. They instead love reclamation projects. They love these guys like Jason Hayward. Oh, we're going to squeeze 15 home runs out of them in the regular season, and they're going to do really great. And, and maybe they do, but then the postseason comes. They're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm Jason Hayward. I don't hit the ball when I'm supposed to in clutch moments. Like, it's just – it is infuriating. Um, it's it's just shocking. It's disappointing. I don't see how the Dodgers get out of this series alive. Um, so, yeah, that's my – my solid take on them. It is just another disappointing year. Um, thank you, Louisville Cardinals, for giving some, something for me to root for because it's just uh, it's it's a mess. So I just spoke for a long time. What are your final thoughts on any of these four playoff series? No, I, I hope that was cathartic for you. I just wanted to shout out a couple of uh, unsung heroes so far. Kevin Ginkle has been really good out of the bullpen for Arizona. 
Uh, this isn't an unsung hero, but Zach Wheeler has been fantastic for the Phillies so far. I've really liked what Pablo Lopez has done. Um, and then when you're looking at some of the hitters that that I wanted to kind of shout out here, uh, Tommy Pham, seven hits, man. What a what a, uh, a midseason acquisition that was for the Diamondbacks. He's hitting 389 so far in the postseason. You mentioned uh, Gabriel Moreno. Leori Tavares playing well. Bryson Stott, who he had a really good year, but I mean, the Grand Slam, he needed 357 in the postseason. Uh, you know, the postseason, always a time to make new heroes and, and uh, for some fun, unsung heroes to emerge. And I uh, wanted to shout those ones out. Yeah. Uh, how about Mitch Garver, the way that he played yeah. too in the, his series with Texas, man? I mean, you just get these guys that all of a sudden they got the clutch gene. And uh, Corey Seager, I'll be honest, man, if the Texas Rangers win the World Series, it's going to be because that guy is in the lineup. That guy is just special. Um, it's fun to watch him play, and and I think he's one of the most underrated players in baseball. I know he makes a ton of money, right? Like it's not like he's looked at as oh he he slips under the radar. It's not necessarily that. I just I think when you think about the MLB, you know, you get the thoughts of Aaron Judge and you get Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, and nobody really sits there and talks about Corey Seager, right? But this dude is one of the most pure hitters in all of baseball. Guys had an MVP type season and he's helping lead a Rangers team that is already good. And he's just a staple in the middle of that lineup. So I, I, I got to give a massive shout out to Seager because he just continuously has got to be one of the most consistent players in all baseball. So before we go, Derek, we also are a big fantasy baseball show, as everybody knows. So we are going to quickly review, since a lot of you are probably considering in your dynasty leagues, what does that first round look like? Or maybe it's not your dynasty. Maybe it's just your regular season league and you're already excited about that. What is the first round of rankings for the top 12 players look like? And uh, do we want to do it as keeper? Or do we want to do it as one year, Derek? Well, this is just one year from uh, Yahoo that I wanted to go over these rankings. And uh, I, I kind of had some questions with this, whether, you know, what pick would you kind of want here or, or maybe what player are you buying into? What, player do you maybe think has a chance of kind of falling out the rankings? Because uh, here's the Yahoo rankings. It's one, Ronald Acuna. Two is Julio Rodriguez. Three, Mookie Betts. Four, Fernando Tatis Jr. Five, Bobby Witt Jr. Six, Corbin Carroll. Seven, Kyle Tucker. Eight, Freddie Freeman. Nine, Shohei Otani, obviously the utility player. Uh, Ten, Aaron Judge. Eleven, Matt Olson. Twelve is uh, Trey Turner. And then they gave an honorable mention, so I guess 13 for Spencer Strider. Now, this is for a one-year league. Is there anybody on that list that you're like, I feel like they're too low? Or is there anybody on that list that you're like, I could see them falling out of being a first-round value? Yeah, I, I think uh, obviously statistically most standard leagues, they'll have home runs, RBIs, run yeah, scored, average, and steals, right? So keeping those in mind, uh, I think Corbin Carroll and Bobby Wood Jr. at five and six, I mean, I'd be happy with both of them at the three spot, you know, like I wouldn't be upset. I think I would take both of them to be honest over Mookie and Fernando Tatis Jr. Like I, I really believe that those two offer more potential value, I guess, like as the ceiling, I think they have higher ceilings there. You kind of know what you're getting with Mookie. He's a safer pick. Um, clearly he's a regular season warrior. Um, and uh, we won't talk about the postseason, but um, I, I think those two really stick out to me. I also think that maybe Matt Olson's a little too low. Um, it's hard because this is such a good group of players, but Matt Olson hits bombs, man. Like that guy just hits 50 plus bombs like I, easily. And if you want a guy that's going to give you guaranteed pop, I mean, that is an easy pick to take. I would say 
maybe at like eight or nine, I would actually consider it like between him and Freddie Freeman, it's a toss up. Joey Otani with the injury. I'm very concerned. Like I gotta be honest. I, I'm uh, getting back from surgery and swinging a bat like Bryce Harper. You saw his numbers kind of drop off uh, and he's finally picking it up now, but it takes time. Right. So I don't know if I'm buying Shohei at that price. I, I really like Carol. I really like Bobby Wood Jr. That, that's kind of where I'd see them at the high. Um, and maybe Shohei Otani is a little too high for me just based off of the surgery. What about you? I agree because of the injury stuff. Uh, I'll be interested with Freddie Freeman. He's such a pure hitter that it wouldn't surprise me. But, like, you you keep getting older. Eventually, there is going to be a falloff. Will it be next year? Maybe not. Uh, I, I actually am interested by Matt Olson because I don't know why. I, I have no reason, no idea of the rhyme or reason to this. He has alternated, like, high and low to him, like OPS seasons or average seasons. Uh, so you go to his rookie year. He has a 464 OPS. Mm-hmm. Then you go to year two with Oakland. He has over 1,000 OPS. Then you go the next year. He goes down to a 788 OPS. Next year, it's up to an 896. Next year, it's down to a 734. Next year, it's up to a 911. Next year, it's down to 802. Next year, which is this year, it's up to a 993. I don't know why. He has like alternated good and like still good, but not great seasons, which he's having right now. So maybe that that alternates again. I don't really have the rhyme or reason, but yeah, that, that would uh, be the one thing that I would uh, kind of keep in mind there. Uh, is there a pick that you would be wanting in your fantasy draft? And uh, where would you be comfortable taking a pitcher? Yeah, I, I would say just based off of like one year leagues. Like what I'm a lot. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, in this group, I, I really like the idea that you can get more value probably in the back end just because so many of these guys are so similar. If I can get Corbin Carroll at six or Bobby Wood Jr. at five, I mean, that's where I'd want my pick to be because I think I can easily build off that. Um I'm happy with getting Aaron Judge at 10, to be honest. And if Matt Olson's really there at 11, and I don't believe he would be, but if he is, like, I will take him at that pick, you know? So I'd be very happy there because then I would probably take a pitcher, maybe not on the back end. I don't know if I'm buying as much the idea of getting a pitcher early like I used to. I used to believe that if you got a top-heavy pitcher in, like, round two, you're really setting yourself up well. I think there's more good pitchers now out there that – like there's kind of a depth, a pool of like, like I would want a Logan Webb, let's say more in the one hundreds, right? Like that's kind of what I'd rather get than getting a Corbin Burns in the second round, like Logan Webb and Corbin Burns, while they're obviously Corbin Burns is going to be picked way higher. I don't think, you know, week to week, you're getting that big of a disparity in that sense to the point where it's so significant versus getting a Matt Olson season of 50 home runs. And, you know, trading that for a guy that's going to maybe go like six innings and get me three runs. Like I can, I can kind of stream that. So I'd rather go with the hitter. I think that maybe fourth round is when I'd take a pitcher. Like I'd rather go hitting early. And then in a one-year league, go for the young rookies. The guys like Dylan Cruz, I think is going to be a a good pickup. Or um, obviously you got the kid for Texas Rangers. If he could get the opportunity and, Wyatt Langford, uh, I think that he could be special. Um, you get the Japanese kids that are coming over. Uh, so it's just like you can find some value in dudes that may not be pre-ranked highly, but are probably going to end the year ranked higher and in, in, significantly higher um, just based off the fact that Yahoo kind of does this. Like Yahoo likes to take the top prospect and always put them in the like 98 to 105 range. That's what they love to do. And I will always take that player 
the 75th pick. That's just the money spot. Um, so that's what I do. And I did it with Bobby Wood Jr. a couple of years ago. It worked to perfection. Um, I just drafted a horrible roster outside of it. So that's my own bad doing that. But like, I, I that's kind of my strategy. Like go and wait for, um, you know, good pitching maybe in the middle and then get the young studs that are coming up, you know, before they're supposed to be picked. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think I'd want to be in that top seven because if you, even if you give me Kyle Tucker at seven, I'd be happy with that. And then uh, where I'd be comfortable taking a picture. Yeah, I wouldn't want to take him early second. I'd be fine. I don't know, man. Even even late second, like I I wouldn't. I don't unless it's Spencer Strider. I'd be fine with Spencer Strider in the second round at some point. Um, but like I don't want to take Corbin Burns or Garrett Cole in in even the second round. I'd be comfortable with either of those guys in like the third. But it'd be dependent on what I did in the first two rounds and if I feel good enough with my hitting. But yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's a fair assessment. Um, but you know what? It's coming up quick. Uh, Derek and I are going to New Orleans in a couple months, and uh, that's when we'll you know the real the real deal will happen uh, with our league. Derek, as we approach the ALCS and NLCS, any final thoughts before we close out this podcast? No, just looking forward to how things finish off. Do you want to give a uh, one final World Series pick? Yeah, we might as well because we're going to be back in two weeks, and mm-hmm. uh, by that point, we're uh, we're going to find ourselves in the World Series. So I, I think it's going to be the Phillies and the Texas Rangers. That would be my honest guess because I think the Phillies are the best team um, as far as I think they're going to outlast, outlast the Braves. I think if the Phillies face off against either the Diamondbacks or the Dodgers, which it's going to be the Diamondbacks, but if it's not, I think the Phillies are better than the Dodgers. And um, I think the Phillies are better than the Rangers by just a tad bit. So I'll say the Phillies in six games. All right. I'm going to take the Braves and I'm going to take them over the Astros with their playoff experience repeat of the world series from a couple of years ago. And I'm going to take the Braves over the Astros in five games in five games. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to find out. And uh, obviously our next uh, podcast, we'll do a little season review as well. We got some stocks we got to go over. We'll also give you more of our fantasy advice, uh, but that will do it for this particular podcast as we find ourselves in the heart of the postseason. On behalf of Derek Johnson, I'm Dusty Baker. Thanks again for pulling up a bar stool and hanging with us. Let's grab a drink again in two weeks. 